my channel. Happy to have you back. This case is pretty well known. Even if you live outside of Colorado, there's a good chance you may have heard of it. Today we are talking about the murder of Dylan Nicholas Redwine. He was born on February 6th, 1999 and was raised by his parents, Mark and Elaine, and his older brother, Corey. He also has a half brother named Brandon and another half sibling from his father's first marriage. Dylan was known as a very quiet, mellow kid who liked to play baseball, liked to eat pizza, like to play video games, hang out with his friends, pretty normal kid. Now his father, Mark, worked as a trucker. So he was gone for long periods of time and this really took a toll on their family and on his marriage. So after 18 years of marriage, he and Elaine got a divorce and it was a messy divorce. It was really hard on the kids. It took a long time. There was a major custody battle. In September of 2012, Dylan met with a judge one-on-one -on -one and talked about which parent he wanted to live with. Dylan did not want to live with Mark. He wanted to live with Elaine, so she was granted custody and Dylan was very happy about that because he and his father had a strained relationship, especially since his parents got divorced. He did not like the way he was treating his mother. So Mark was given visitation rights and he lived in a different part of Colorado than them. He lived way almost to Durango, really beautiful area. Specifically, he lived in Bayfield, Colorado, which is just outside of Durango in La Plata County. Obviously, Mark was upset that Elaine was granted custody of Dylan, but he was gonna get the visitation rights so he booked a flight for him to come out and visit him for Thanksgiving that November. So he actually flew to visit his father because it was quite a distance and his mother Elaine drove him to the airport on November 18th, 2012. And Dylan did not want to go. It was a court ordered visit so he had no choice but he had a lot of tension with his father. He didn't like going to visit him. He didn't like being in his cabin because he was pretty isolated. So he was just bummed out about having to go, but he did. And there's actually footage of him at the airport. And it was even harder this time because his older brother, Corey, who was over 18 at the time, decided not to go visit him. And he didn't have to, cause he was an adult. So Dylan was pretty bummed out being alone there. During the previous visit that Dylan had with his father, they had argued a lot a lot over the divorce. It seemed like Mark kind of was taking out his frustration with the Elaine on his son. After he landed, he texted his mom that he made it safely, but he was not happy about it. And you could tell because his last message that he ever sent her had a frowning face in it. Mark picked up Dylan at the airport around 6 p.m. Then they started driving home and their plan was to stop at a Walmart, which they did to get a few things. And then they were gonna get dinner. His dad wanted to go to a restaurant, but he said that Dylan just wanted McDonald's. So they went ahead and did the drive-thru picked up some food and headed home. And the first night that he was there, Dylan asked his dad if he could stay the night at a friend's house. He clearly did not want to be around his dad, but his dad said no. So he and his friend made very early plans for the next morning. That's how desperate to get out of this house Dylan was. They were going to be meeting up at 6.30 a.m. the next day. The next day, Monday, November 19th, Mark said that Dylan had actually slept in till seven. He didn't wake up to go see his friend for whatever reason. And this is all according to Mark. He said he got up around 7.30, went to check on Dylan, who never slept in a bed. He was on the couch while he was at his dad's house. He never slept in a bed, according to his dad. But I don't know how it was at home. He said he tried to wake up Dylan, but he refused to wake up. So he went about his day. He went around and did some errands and then he came back to the house around 11.30 and Dylan was not there but the door was open, according to Mark. And according to him, the TV was on and there was a bowl of cereal just sitting out on the table in front of the TV. So he figured he was watching cartoons. He said he was watching Nickelodeon, but Dylan was nowhere to be found. And either was his cell phone, his backpack or his fishing pole. So Mark thought that Dylan 
left to go see his friend. He said he didn't think anything was wrong. He decided actually to just go ahead and take a midday nap, oddly enough. So Mark goes to sleep. He woke up from his nap around 1.30 p.m. and Dylan was still not home. So at that point, he starts texting him, calling him, trying to get a hold of him, and he gets nothing. Around 2.30 or 3, he said he went out to physically look for Dylan himself. He checked at a few of their friends' houses and none of them knew where Dylan was and none of them had heard from Dylan either. And two of his friends actually said that they had been trying to contact Dylan all day and weren't able to get a hold of him. So Mark said at this point, he started to freak out. So he went to the Bayfield Marshal's office to report that he could not find his son. And while he was there, he texted Elaine to see if she had heard from Dylan. And Elaine said she thought it was very odd that he reached out to her asking where her son is when she's six hours away. Why would she know he's in your care? Elaine freaked out immediately and contacted the sheriff's office to report Dylan missing. Dylan's mom lived in Colorado Springs. So it's about a six hour drive down to Durango area. And so Mike, Elaine and Corey, his brother all jumped in the car and headed down there to help look for Dylan. They arrived in the area late that night and they went straight to the sheriff's office to talk to them. After that, they actually went out and searched from about 1 to 2 a.m. around Mark's house. Now, Mark wasn't out searching with them and he was home, but oddly enough, he had all the lights in his house turned off. Very weird. So Dylan was a typical teenager. He was always on his phone, always texting someone. And that was one of the oddest things about all this is Dylan hadn't sent any text message or had any phone activity since 9.37 the night before when he texted one of his friends. He actually texted him from his iPod Touch. This was the friend that he was supposed to be meeting up with the next day, and he confirmed that he would be there. But the next morning at 6.46, his friend texted him back and asked, where are you? And didn't get a reply from Dylan at that point. He tried texting him again around 10 and still no response. So we definitely know that Dylan was at the airport there's security footage of him there. We also know that they did go to the Walmart. There's also footage of him at the Walmart that night. But after that, who really knows what happened? So obviously investigators need to know what Mark was doing during all this time. So they confirmed that between 7.30 and 11.30, Mark was making several errands. He went to his work payroll office. He went to his divorce attorney's office. And he also went to the post office and mailed a child support check to Elaine. Now, immediately Mark said that he thought that Dylan may have walked to this nearby campground near their house to hang out, or he could have walked to his friend's house which was nine and a half miles away. What kid is gonna walk to their friend's house in November in Colorado, in the mountains, nine and a half miles away? Elaine knew it was all bullshit right from the start, but police felt like maybe Dylan really did run away. Maybe he just didn't wanna be at his dad's. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but Elaine reinforced to them that it was not in Dylan's character to run away. He would never do something like that. He would have just contacted his mom, especially so soon after he had gotten there. It just didn't add up to her. So search and rescue launched an immediate search the same day that Dylan was reported missing and looked all over this area. Mark lived near the San Juan National Forest and the San Juan Mountains. So the extensive wilderness obviously makes the search a lot more difficult. Durango also has an elevation of 6,512 feet and the surrounding area has steep canyons and very dense forests. So it's really difficult to search through. But search and rescue teams tried their best. They went through trails and remote areas on ATVs. They used drones to search more isolated spots. 
Canine units were also deployed and mobile command centers were set up to track progress along the way. And I guess one of the dogs actually did pick up a scent outside of Mark's home, but they weren't able to confirm it was Dylan because for whatever reason that day they didn't have anything else that belonged to him to match the scent. So days started to go by and the search continued, but there was no sign of Dylan. Thanksgiving came and went, nothing. And Elaine, his whole family was crushed. Elaine, Corey, and other family members and friends ended up organizing their own search efforts and fundraisers to help out as well. But Elaine was suspect of Mark from the beginning. I mean, she said as soon as he first contacted her, she felt like he did something because he'd had a violent past. First of all, she felt like his story didn't make a lot of sense because he claimed that the fishing pole was missing in the house, that Dylan left with a fishing pole. But the weird thing is his mother said he probably wouldn't have taken his fishing pole or gone fishing by himself because he didn't really have any experience with fishing. He didn't even know how to thread a line. So that's odd. And then she also pointed out that he said that he was watching Nickelodeon. And at this point, Dylan was really into MTV and didn't watch Nickelodeon anymore. So she said that all of that just seemed like a lie to her, that he didn't even know his own son well enough to make up a good lie. Volunteers canvassed multiple neighborhoods, looked all over the place and put up signs everywhere that they could. They also set up a Facebook page and ended up offering a $50,500 reward for any information about Dylan. Social media ended up being key for their family to organize, get information out, you know, get more volunteers. You know, every day I wake up and Dylan's not home and it's just another empty day. I choose hope for Dylan. Um, because, you know, as a mother, it's it's um, very difficult to deal with something like this. But, you know, I have no reason to believe that he's not. And so I will always choose hope for Dylan. We'll always look for him and we will find him. So finally, the weekend after Thanksgiving, canine units actually did pick up Dylan's scent again. This time it was near Vallecito Lake. And so rescue teams sent divers into the lake and brought boats with high-tech sonar to search for any signs of remains but they found nothing. On the ninth day of the search, the police came to the conclusion that they probably weren't looking for a runaway anymore, that this was likely going to be a recovery mission. Then Brandon Redwine, who's Dylan's half-brother, found out that he was missing, and he and his wife and children drove seven hours from Gilbert, Arizona to help look for him as well. Brandon's relationship with his father was also strained, just like Corey and Dylan's, but he decided it was worth putting that aside and trying to help find him. So only about a week into the search, Elaine came forward and started talking about how she thought Mark could have been involved. My gut feeling is that that Dylan's dad had something to do or knows something more than he's giving us information about. I wish he would talk to us, um, but he won't do that. But Mark repeatedly stuck to his story, saying that he had nothing to do with Dylan's disappearance, that he simply went out to run errands, came home, and Dylan was gone. And he had no idea where he went. Dylan, my prayers are with you, and I love you very much. He was the light of my life, and he, he meant everything to me. And I just want him home, just like everybody else does. And, and that's why, you know, we got to keep searching for him, because somebody knows something. We gotta find him and we need to know that he's okay. And I don't want the focus to be mainly on me. I want the focus to remain on Dylan because that's where, that's the most important thing right now. And you know, the process of what's going on with the, 
authorities and the people handling this is to search my home. You know, all they had to do was ask. I would have willingly let them come in and do it. You know, I've given them, I've cooperated with them in every way. Anything that they've asked me for, I've been willing to do. Anything that they've suggested that I do, whether it be sitting at the house waiting for the phones to ring or, or going to walk through the front door, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. And that's what I want everybody to understand is that, you know, my focus is on Dylan and, and what's going on with him and, and trying to keep the investigation moving forward in, in whatever necessary means that that is. So a few days later, they finally decided to search Mark's home. And when they did, they actually found a few drops of Dylan's blood. And when they were doing interviews, Mark's girlfriend said that the blood actually came from when Dylan had cut his finger like a year before while visiting. Investigators ended up taking a small cutout of a larger area rug that was in the house to do further testing on it. And they also took, you know, Mark's devices and his truck. And during the whole thing, Mark was cooperating fully with the investigation and seemed very upset that Dylan was gone. Investigators brought in Mark for an interview and they told him that he was not a suspect, that this was just standard to question everyone in the family. But Mark did not take it that way. He felt like he was being accused from the beginning. He felt like the media was pointing at him from the beginning. And he said that he was just devastated that people were accusing him of kidnapping or hurting his own son. So he and Elaine were both given polygraph tests and Elaine said that she passed hers with flying colors. Now, Mark did not. In fact, he failed it quite badly. Mark actually said he was told he failed miserably, but he was never given the reasons why or any data to back that up. He said that they offered him no proof that he had failed it. So at this point, Dylan's case is starting to make headlines all around the country. In fact, all around the world, everyone in the community, everyone in Colorado was hoping that he would be found safe at the end of all of this. In February of 2013, another large search was organized and cadaver dogs were brought back in to search for remains around Mark's home. So it's clear that they still have a feeling Mark could have been involved. And then after this, the whole family goes on the Dr. Phil show. And wow, that was quite an interesting episode. It's like two hours long. Um, most of it's available on YouTube. I can't really put in any clips because Dr. Phil just keeps his content on lock, like you cannot use it. It'll be blocked in all countries if I try to. So I'll have to just explain it to you. But during the episode, there was a lot of just talk back and forth between Elaine and Mark and Elaine obviously accusing Mark and Mark trying to defend himself. But they also brought Corey out who straight up said that he thinks that Dylan was killed by Mark and that his father was horrible to him. He is dead to him. He doesn't even call him dad anymore. He calls him Mark. So that tells you a lot. Corey explained on the show that they had started multiple fundraising projects. They had multiple vigils for Dylan and Mark was never part of any of that. But throughout the episode, Mark defends himself and continues to say that he had nothing to do with his son's disappearance. So eventually Dr. Phil decides that Mark should take a polygraph test right there at the Dr. Phil show. And he sets it up. I mean, he's got access to all these experts and stuff. And he had someone who has done hundreds and hundreds of polygraph tests. And he brought him in to meet with Mark. Mark said he was gonna do it. He literally said on the show, yeah, I'm gonna do this. I need to like, I need to get this done. And then right before he refused to do the test. And I'll link this clip below, but Dr. Phil was pissed that Mark did not do the test. 
He starts yelling at him and understandably so. I mean, don't you want to clear your name? If you're innocent, just take the test. And Dr. Phil also pointed out that the polygraph examiner had told him that out of all of the polygraph tests he's given, there's never been a single parent out there who's looking for a missing child who refused to take the test. And that just tells you everything you need to know, I think. But going on Dr. Phil was really good for them. It brought a lot of attention to the case and he gave them like a two hour slot. So that was very helpful. And during all this time, investigators continue to search, but eventually, you know, it's getting colder and colder. And by December, they really could not do their searches anymore. There were several areas that were covered in ice and snow and they were gonna have to wait until spring to search them. They planned a massive search in June of 2013 of Middle Mountain near the campground in the Lake Valacito Reservoir area. And on June 25th, 45 officers from the La Plata County Sheriff's Office began a five-day search that would cover 12 miles along an unpaved stretch of Middle Mountain Road. And this is the road that ran parallel to the street where Mark lived. And for a while, they didn't find anything until June 25th. In the late afternoon, suddenly a bunch of police cars were called out to the area, which tells you they found something. And later that night, the sheriff's office announced that they had found evidence that could be related to the Dylan Redwine case. The search continued after this as planned for an additional five days. Officers had spent 1600 man hours scouring the area for clues. Two days after they announced that they had found possible evidence, they confirmed to Dylan's family that they had actually found his remains and they were confirmed to be Dylan Redwines. Now, these were partial remains and they were found very close to Mark's home. This was Dylan's last known location and it was about eight miles away from Mark's house. They found the remains in a very remote area that was difficult to access and obviously with the weather, they just weren't able to find him sooner. However, his other items like his backpack, his phone were never found. So they took the remains to a medical examiner and when they looked, they could not fully determine whether this was a wildlife attack or a homicide. A six month long search for teen Dylan Redwine has ended in the worst possible way. The La Plata County Sheriff's Office just confirmed it has found the 13 year old's remains. Authorities say a variety of remains, including bones, were collected during a five day search of Middle Mountain Road. That's in Bayfield, Colorado, within sight of Iocito Lake, the area where Dylan was last seen. Mark told the media that he was blindsided, that his son's body had been found. He said he was holding out hope that he would be found alive. And so at this point, he's just focused on making funeral arrangements with Elaine, who strongly believes Mark is involved. And shortly after they were notified, Mark claims that Elaine drove past his house and screamed murderer at him, which I don't know if that's true, but can you imagine the rage you would feel as a mom? The entire community, I mean, all of Colorado was so devastated when this was announced, but also there was a bit of relief because many people this point thought there was a very low chance of him being alive anyway and finding remains is going to be the first step towards getting justice for Dylan. The weekend after his remains were found, their community planned a candlelight memorial and a memorial service was held later for family and friends. There was always something that I was learning from him. You never know when the one person that you thought would always be with you by your side walk and talk with you would you know, suddenly just be gone one day. This past year has been a struggle. I've struggled with the events that have taken place. 
explain why this happened to Dylan. But there were still so many questions at this point. They didn't have a cause of death and there wasn't evidence of foul play. So Elaine and the rest of the family felt really stuck. But Elaine and Corey were both sure that Mark was definitely lying. Elaine came forward and told the media that she strongly believed Mark was involved in Dylan's death and that she had seen him be violent many times over their 18-year marriage. In spring of 2014, Mark ends up contacting a reporter who he had spoken to before and let her know that he was going to the hospital around 2 a.m. because he was experiencing paranoia after being stalked by haters, monitored by the police, and self-medicating. The news outlet that the reporter worked for tried to figure out why Mark was hospitalized and why he felt the need to tell the media about it but they really never got answers. Shortly after this incident, Elaine was granted a temporary restraining order against Mark. She just had that mother's intuition that Mark was involved, that he had killed their son. They searched Mark's home again for a second time. And in August of 2015, Mark was officially identified as a person of interest in the case. Now, of course that's different than a suspect. A person of interest is someone that officers believe probably has more information. A suspect, is someone they actually think was involved. So they weren't quite to suspect territory with Mark yet. But investigators did clear Elaine, her husband, Mike Hall, and Dylan's brother, Corey, of any involvement. Now, people thought it was pretty strange that Mark was being considered only a person of interest because there was evidence. There were inconsistencies in his statements and he had such odd behavior since Dylan was reported missing. But Mark continued to deny any involvement and often went on the media to defend himself. So on November 1st, 2015, more remains of Dylan's were found. A hiker actually stumbled across his skull. It was about one and a half miles from where the other remains were found off an easily accessible area of Middle Mountain Road. And this was the evidence that they needed. This discovery broke the case wide open. So they ended up doing an autopsy on Dylan's skull and the medical examiner found that there was a fracture above his left eye, and there's also evidence of blunt force trauma to his head. And these injuries were definitely not from an animal. They were from a person. So this is when they were able to change the cause of death. It was officially changed from undetermined to homicide. And now Mark is really feeling the heat. But Mark continued to cooperate with investigators, and so did Elaine, of course, trying to figure out what really happened. And at some point, he actually tried to say that all of the remains, including the skull, were all placed there by someone else to make him look guilty. And once his whole theory of Dylan just running away and getting attacked by an animal or succumbing to nature, he starts bringing up the idea that Dylan was kidnapped and murdered by someone. And the FBI profiler who he talked to said that this had a mathematical likelihood of close to zero. He also brought up the idea that maybe Dylan had run away and then was shot by a hunter in the woods. And Mark actually went out and took a video of himself demonstrating how this could have happened. And he didn't just make it for police, he actually went and posted it to Facebook, which Elaine thought was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, the theory itself, it just didn't make any sense. 
and it was weird that he was pushing so hard for all these other theories when no one else was saying these things. Elaine just said she knew. She knew that Mark had done something, so she fought back in every way she could. She organized rallies outside of Mark's home, demanding that he tell investigators what he knows about Dylan's disappearance, and people came out there with signs, and the whole community was so hurt by this and just wanted to know what happened to Dylan. Mark and Elaine continued to blame each other over the years. Mark put a lot of blame on Elaine as well, and Elaine eventually filed a wrongful death suit against Mark, and then get this, Mark goes and files a wrongful death suit against Elaine. Both of these cases were actually just dismissed and luckily this would get an actual trial later on. But then finally, in summer of 2017, investigators announced that they had enough evidence to go ahead and arrest Mark. He was still working as a truck driver at this time and he was delivering frozen foods and working in Washington. So that's where he was arrested and there's footage of it. I'll go ahead and insert it here. Let's put him down, lay him down and we'll move up. Uh, Nick, Bean and Dollywall grab him. But let's uh, put him on the ground, stomach, arms out. There's a passenger, there's a passenger. Just keep your hands up, buddy. Just keep your hands up. Don't move, bud, okay? Do not move. Drop a cigarette. If you guys can, you'll explain to me what's going on? Yes, sir. Is your name Mark? Yes, it is. The reason why you're in handcuffs right now is, is because uh, we received a uh, call from an agency in Colorado. What had happened is they had got information that you were potentially up here, and they said that they had a, uh, uh, a warrant for murder second. I'm sorry? I have no idea what that's about. Okay. My, que my question to the other officer was, sure. when was this issue? Uh, I don't know when it was issued. I know it's an active warrant, uh, and that's how the call came into us. Is that they're saying that that this warrant's in the system, and that they had information that you were uh, you were potentially in this area working on your in your trucking job. And what's really weird is Mark had been traveling with a trainee in the trucking business, and he had told him about his missing son and how sad he was about it, but he never mentioned that the remains were found or that he was a person of interest in the case. So this trainee is totally shocked seeing him get arrested. But finally, he was booked into the county jail around 1 a.m. and held on a $1 million cash only bond. The next step is to extradite him to Colorado and let the Colorado law enforcement deal with him from there. But Mark was very hesitant, tried to fight this, but he lost and he was brought back to Colorado. And when he got back, he was charged with second degree murder and child abuse resulting in death in a Colorado courtroom on August 15th, 2017. And of course, Mark pled not guilty to all the charges. Now that FBI profiler who was working on the case said that he wasn't surprised that Mark pleaded not guilty. In fact, he said that he was a narcissist psychopath who would never admit fault no matter what evidence was presented. And Elaine feels the same way. And you might be wondering, you know, if Mark was charged with murder in August of 2017, how come trial was just wrapped up this summer? Well, that's because the Dylan Redwine case trial was actually rescheduled 10 times. One of the times that this happened was in September of 2019 when Mark's attorney was arrested for domestic violence. So it was rescheduled for September 2020. And we all know what a mess 2020 was. It was a huge mess for the court system. So many trials got pushed back. Um, but the reason they had to push this one again was because Mark's new attorney had symptoms of COVID-19. And I'm sure some of you watched it. I know a ton of people were streaming it. 
I watched a lot of it because it was streamed online. And it's always interesting to see the stuff playing out in the courtroom. And, you know, oftentimes they don't allow cameras. And once the trial started, each testimony just got more and more shocking. And this is really hard to say, but prosecutors believe that Mark murdered Dylan on his living room floor and actually decapitated him and then went and spread his remains out in the wilderness. They believe that these injuries were caused by a knife or another sharp object right at the time of death. They also announced that investigators had found trace amounts of blood all over Mark's living room, including the couch, the carpet underneath. They also found it on a love seat on the corner of a coffee table. And when they lifted up a rug, they found a bunch of blood hidden underneath that as well. DNA tests were able to confirm that the blood on the love seat definitely belonged to Dylan. The other blood they weren't able to 100% confirm was Dylan's. They also announced that cadaver dogs had picked up the scent of human remains in the back of Mark's truck. But not only that, the dog also picked up the scent of human remains on Mark's clothes and all over the living room. So it seems pretty obvious what happened. And obviously one of the most important parts of a murder trial is proving the motive, which they actually were able to do pretty easily. And this is totally shocking and quite disturbing, I will warn you. All of this was backed up by Corey's testimony, Dylan's brother. And it turns out that the year before Dylan went missing, Mark had taken Dylan and Corey out on a road trip. During the trip, the boys were on Mark's laptop and they found some very disturbing images. So they took the laptop into the bathroom, locked the door, and they took pictures on their phone. And they ended up showing some of these photos in court, which phew, no one was expecting this. The jury was totally shocked. And you guys are about to be too. Do you recognize the person in that photograph? Yes, I do. Who is it? That is Mark Allen Redwine. Do you recognize the person in that photograph? Yes, I do. That's the defendant? Yes. Do you recognize the person in that photograph? Yes. Who is it? Mark Allen Redwine. And then is that another of those same photos that you had uh, observed and your, your brother had observed at that time? Yes. There are a few that I can put in here, but I'm definitely not gonna be able to put all of them. However, they are on the internet, and if you wanna see, you can find them. These pictures showed Mark wearing makeup, red lipstick, and a red bra. And the most shocking part of this was they actually found a picture of him dressed up like this, eating human feces out of a baby diaper. I know, absolutely disgusting. Corey said that he and Dylan were just disgusted by what they were seeing and really freaked out. How did he react to seeing those photographs of his father? Um, he was pretty disgusted. Um, it was something that he, um, he kind of had to try to contain himself. And in early 2012, before Dylan went missing, Corey had confronted his dad about it. When Mark heard that Dylan and him had seen the pictures, he freaked out. Obviously he's super worried they're gonna share them with someone. He was angry. He had a horrible reaction to Corey. The discovery of these images really destroyed what was left of, you know, Dylan's respect for his father. He was really freaked out. So the prosecution argues that Dylan may have finally confronted his father about what he had seen that night that he landed on November 18th and his father flew into a violent rage 
and killed him. They argued that ever since, Mark had been lying to the police and trying to confuse investigators as much as he could. Corey testified in court that Mark had a major rage problem and was mentally ill, but he knew exactly what he was doing. From the time that he had learned his brother was missing, he suspected his father had something to do with it, and he was right. Now, Mark denies the person in the photo is even him. He, in fact, thinks Elaine made these photos and photoshopped him into it to embarrass him. Why would she do that? Why? Elaine got to testify in court and she echoed Corey's testimony that she believed Mark killed Dylan and the motive made sense. Right. I told everybody who would listen that my son is missing. Right. And you also told a lot of people um, that you believed Mr. Redwine was responsible, correct? I believed then that he was the last person to see Dylan and he had no answers for us and he was refusing to ask or answer any questions or help us find no one and it was frustrating and then mark's ex-wife who had been estranged from him for a long time also testified in court her name was betsy she had been married to mark for over six years and had a terrible marriage with him they had two kids together and she said that just like elaine their marriage was filled with fighting it was violent at times and very abusive and she said that during their divorce he actually threatened to kill their kids. And that really freaked her out. And this was a long time ago, but when she heard Dylan had gone missing, it all came back to her and it really scared her. 30 years before the two of them were on a camping trip and Mark actually said to her that if he ever had to kill somebody, that he would hide the body in the mountains. And Betsy said at the time, she kind of just laughed it off, but had a really sickening feeling in her gut and we went camping once we got up to the campsite and looking around and he had made a comment that this would be a good place to leave body because it was mountains and they're so vast that did that nobody would ever find a body Betsy and Mark's son, Brandon Redwine, took the stand as well. He said one night during the search, he and everyone else, including Mark, sat down and tried to make a plan for the next day. And he confronted Mark at this meeting that he didn't seem to be searching hard enough, that he didn't seem to be focused or paying attention or really listening to what needed to be done. And as you were talking with Mark about finding Dylan, did he, uh, how, how did he respond to that? He wasn't like anxious to get involved. He wasn't like, yeah, let's go do it. And there was a lot of back and forth in trying to communicate with both David and Mark. And we just wanted to get going, doing something. We were just talking about it and we kept asking Mark, like, what, what are you doing to let everybody know that Dylan's not here? And we were trying to encourage him to get more active and letting people know something wasn't right. Why were you doing that? Because we still, at that time, in my head, he was still missing. We didn't know anything, but you have to start making noise to at least get that attention. And I'm not saying get negative attention, but just do something so people are aware of it. Yeah, it was frustrating. Just, like, it's your son. Get involved. Like, make people aware that he's not with you. And during this conversation, did you... Was, was Mark Redwine, did he, did he come across as upset or, or sad or crying that Dylan was missing, any of those things? No, I didn't really see any emotion, and that was something that got my attention, too. Just it was a normal, everyday 
we're going to plan what we're going to do. And I just felt like the situation was very different than that. I mean, the whole family was really frustrated with him in the beginning because he seemed way too casual about his son going missing on his watch. He also testified that on the day that they found the first set of remains and they were confirmed to be Dylan's, meaning that he was now officially dead, Mark barely had a reaction. He seemed really calm and apathetic. One thing that Brandon just could not understand was right after the first set of remains were found, and this is before they found the skull and confirmed that blunt force trauma was involved, Mark kept saying that Dylan died due to blunt force trauma. And Brandon couldn't figure out where he got that information from. I mean, no one else was saying it at that point. Elaine's husband, Mike Hall, also testified for the prosecution. And he said that one morning in April of 2013, he was out driving and he spotted Mark's truck speeding down Middle Mountain Road. And this was before the investigators had even picked back up their searches. It was still too cold, too frozen to search certain areas. And this is before any remains were found. Also, and this was super smart, Mike decided to install surveillance cameras all along the road to see if Mark ever came back. And he turned over all the footage that he got to investigators. Then a few months later, the first set of remains were found. During trial, Mark's defense attorney argued against every piece of physical and circumstantial evidence that was introduced by the prosecution. Like I said earlier, he dismissed the photos altogether, claiming he wasn't even in them. Come on, dude. And these pictures, unfortunately, can't do that much because you know, they can argue that that could have been the motive, but there is no connection necessarily to someone having private disturbing photos on their computer and murdering their child. So they were going to need to prove it further than that. They also argued that the traces of blood that were found in Mark's home were so small that they could be found in any home. And all the evidence from the cadaver dogs they tried to argue was junk science. They also tried to argue that Elaine had really started up all the rumors that Mark was involved and turned the media against him and that her testimony should be thrown out because of that. Mark also accused the prosecutors of ignoring any evidence that didn't fit their theory that he killed his son, including the fracture on Dylan's skull that he argues could have been caused by the tooth of a bear or a mountain lion. He said from the start, the investigation was biased and sloppy and his attorney backed that up with the fact that a forensic investigator had mishandled Dylan's skull and actually had broken a small piece of it off on accident. He also reminded the jury that a scientist on the case had admitted in court that the prosecution gave the expert witness copies of the police reports before the trial, which could have influenced the testimony. The defense said that what happened was simple. Dylan didn't want to be at his dad's for Thanksgiving, so he ran away and he got attacked by a wild animal. And Mark himself never took the stand during the trial. The prosecution continued to drive home to the jury all of the information that everyone had testified about Mark's violent past, the disturbing photos as a possible motive. And they also made sure to really drive it home to the jury that Dylan did not want to be at his dad's house. He didn't like his father. He told his friends and family that he didn't like his father and didn't want to spend the holiday with him. So after the closing arguments, it was time for the jury to deliberate and they deliberated for six and a half hours. But finally they reached a unanimous verdict. Mark Redwine was found guilty of second degree murder and child abuse resulting in the 2012 death of Dylan Redwine. Jury verdict count number one, murder in the second degree. We, the jury, find the defendant, Mark Redwine, guilty of count number one. Be quiet, please. Murder in the second degree. Jury verdict count number two, child abuse. We, the jury, 
find the defendant, Mark Redwine, guilty of count to child abuse. Further, we the jury find that with respect to the verdict question as to this count as follows. Did the child abuse result in death? The answer is yes. And as the verdict was being read, Mark just stood there completely still, emotionless. I think he knew that it was all gonna catch up with him in the end. This was a huge relief for Elaine, for Corey, for Brandon, for all of the friends and family and just random volunteers who have been worried about Dylan and wanting answers for years. This case is still heavily debated and a lot of people think that Mark is innocent. I think most people think he's guilty and clearly the jury heard enough information to think that he was guilty as well. To me, I think it's pretty obvious that Mark did this. I think the whole story makes sense. The photos explain a lot. I mean, he was obviously really worried about those being put out there. He has this history of violence. He knows his son doesn't want to be with him. He's trying to go see his friend the next morning. It's pretty obvious that it happened that night. And that's why he had so much time to clean before he got home and took his nap. And I mean, it was like one o'clock by the time he's contacting police. So he had all that time to clean up. And Dylan sent his last text message out at like 9.30. His mom said that he normally would text to like midnight. So I think it happened pretty soon after that last message went out. As of right now, we don't have the exact answers of what happened. I mean, maybe one day Mark will just confess and tell the truth of what exactly happened the night that Dylan died. But as of right now, he's been pretty silent. Mark is facing up to 48 years in prison. I honestly think it should be longer than that. He should be in prison for the rest of his fucking life. After all these years of rumors and feeling like this was going nowhere, it's been such a relief to see this finally go to court and for Mark to be charged and found guilty. I'm pretty nervous about the sentencing. I think his family probably is too. I hope he gets the worst possible sentence that they can give him. But as of right now, that's all I have on this case. It's incredibly sad thinking about what Dylan's last moments could have been like. It's horrific to think about actually. Dylan was so loved. He had a bright future ahead of him. He was smart, he was funny and he would be an adult now. I really hope Mark Redwine suffers in jail. I hope he thinks about what he did every day for the rest of his life and sees Dylan's face in his dreams and that it haunts him forever. It's just so unbelievably sad. I can't imagine how his mom feels, you know, having to give him over to his dad for court ordered time, knowing how violent he can be, knowing how upset he was to be there. She probably felt so helpless. This entire process has been surreal from the moment Dylan went missing until we found his remains. You know, we've lived in this world of, of, of not knowing what's what happened to my son. We all have speculations. I think the prosecution did a wonderful job in laying out what happened to my son in the last hours of his life. And I think it was pretty clear that the right verdict was given today. The right person um, was held accountable. And as a collective family and everything that we put through it and all the hard work, it was a relief um, for all of our family to know that the hard work was paid off with a guilty verdict. I'm just so thankful that there is now some closure for them and hopefully they can try to move on. But how do you? They will always miss Dylan. The pain will be there the rest of their lives. And no matter what sentence Mark gets, it doesn't change what happened to Dylan. You know, it doesn't bring him back for them. And I just feel so sorry for them that this pain is gonna continue for the rest of their lives.
That is going to be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode. And make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you want to watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.